Welcome to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs, a webinar series that packs a ton of important agency information on one topic from one expert into a 25-minute brief. Why 25 minutes? Because who has the attention span for much more these days? And you can squeeze in a listen between meetings with time for a bathroom break or coffee refill before your next meeting. Hi, thanks for tuning in. This is Bite Size Agency Briefs. I'm your host, Steve Guberman from Agency Outsight, where I work with agency owners to help them turn their agency into the agency of their dreams. I'm here with my friend, Bill Kenny from Focus Lab. Bill, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, so so grateful. Um, so small world, I, I just love the backstory on how we met. Um, so I owned an agency. We were big fanboys of Focus Lab. We loved the work that you guys did. And I was like, oh, these guys are all the way down in Georgia. And, you know, Bill and I were walking past each other on a like a football field and you had the dribble logo on your shirt. I'm like, oh, there's a design nerd. Let's let's chat it up. And turns out we live, I don't know, 20 minutes from each other. And, and I had no idea you were running Focus Lab from Jersey. And you guys had a studio space down in in Savannah, maybe. Savannah. Or, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So, um, so, so you guys are specific brand builders for B2B tech, right? That's correct. Nailed it. Yep. Okay. So, uh, how long have you been running the show? Oh, uh, we're in the middle of the 12th year. So we're into, we're into year 12 now. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah, it is. I think, um, so many agencies run on one person's talent the, the the back of their talent you know i'm so great at what i do i'm going to launch an agency you went about it differently you partnered up with eric uh how did that partnership evolve and uh, i guess just to kind of jump right into the the meat of it all how do you guys define really who does what since i think he's a developer guy and you're a creative guy That's like, right. how did you yeah. really break it down yeah so i i you are right most agencies are built in in, in a lot of ways on the back of the Kind of the owners and whatever that owner's core talent is and i'd say that that was true me and eric just brought two talents to the table out of the gate right so you had two owners two founders building the company on the backs which was i was the the designer the only designer and eric was the developer only developer it was me and him so so what happened was i was i was doing some freelance i wasn't calling it at that point but i was doing freelance work in savannah outside of like a normal kind of like hourly job at that point. I didn't have like a career. I was, <laughs> uh, I moved to Savannah cause I was going to go to art school there. Um, SCAD is the art school there. And um, Savannah, it, although it is a city, it's, it's relatively small and it's like mm -hmm. population is really easy to like meet people. Um, so, so in that way, once I started doing like, Hey, can you do my business card? Oh, Hey, Oh, you're here for art school. You can probably design things for me. Is that right. true? Yes, it is true. I'll do that for 50 bucks. And I just did so much <laughs> of that, that I, I built this like enough kind of like recurring work, if you will, and a reputation where well, I certainly wasn't like a big name, but it was enough of a word of mouth in a small town, if you will, mm -hmm. that I got enough design work. But what happened was I ran into this, we need websites wall where yeah. I was hacking my way through that and not in the great sense of the word hacking. Like I was literally like designing things in Dreamweaver, slice tooling them and piecing them all back together. That's how like, we did it though, man. You know, Come like, on. So yeah. I realized that I was now getting to a point where I'm like, man, I can't really, not to the quality that I would want really like offer what people are really asking for. Yeah. But I don't want to like let this work go. This is great. 
So um, I put out a little thing on my website, which at that point, this is like pre-dribble, this is pre-everything. So like the universe really had to align for this young guy, Eric, for to find to my find website, your website. Yeah. in Savannah, Georgia, of this random guy that just came from Florida, but he's from Massachusetts. And I mean, my traffic, who knows, maybe 10 people a month landed on that thing and probably half of them were an accident. And yeah. he found it. And on my website, it said, I'm looking for uh, flash development help specifically. Flash. Oh, and he responded. You're me back, man. And, uh, and me and Eric literally met at Applebee's. It's the first time we met in person. And that has a special place in our company's like culture now. We even um, in new job postings, as far as the criteria of what we want people to um, list in their, like either their resume or their response to a job. We say you have to mention Applebee's somewhere in this um in this job make response. sure they're paying attention yeah, yeah like detail-oriented things so um so we met at applebee's we said let's just build this damn thing together well technically i said that and eric was like whoa 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 slow down um yeah and then kind of the rest is history but to come back to that point of like building it on the back of your own core talent we did that for years right like mm -hmm. i was the sole designer and then we hired people but i still had to be kind of like the lead designer if you will and yeah um and then we can talk about what it's like and the benefits the big benefits of actually realizing you're not supposed to be the lead designer anymore or the lead developer anymore you're mm -hmm. supposed to be the business owner and you're supposed to fill those with with quite honestly like better people more talented yeah. people yeah yeah but so how did you and eric i mean so obviously designer developer those are different brains different responsibilities as far as ownership and running running and building an agency, defining those roles, how did that play out for you guys? Yeah. So I, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know. So being naive actually, I think worked for us, which was like, we're going to be 50, 50 owners and we're just going to divide and conquer however we see fit organically. Yeah. Right. So I had natural strengths. He had natural strengths. His would have been more detail oriented, uh, which would have aligned more to kind of like businessy functions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, at that point, we didn't have payroll, but those types of things, right? <laughs> yeah. Like checks coming in, checks coming out, like the, the fine details of a business and me being more of like a creative and being a bit more of like the noisemaker. So that's kind of where Dribble comes in, right? Being more like present in the market, if you will. Although he was present in the development market enough so that even in the early days, there's an alternate universe wormhole that we could have easily been a dev company mm. because at that point, Eric was more recognized in his development community, and I had not even found Dribble yet. And if that had maintained the company, we would have been pulled in more of a development way. Uh, it just so happens that we actually got pulled the other way. Yeah. Funny you mentioned Dribble. I just bought a, a mug from Dan Cedar Holmes. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, online shop um, yeah. with just a beautiful ampersand on it, because I don't know if you can tell, I kind of love ampersands. Yeah, um, Designery things. Yeah, a design nerd. Um, so, so you found Dribble. You started to put out work. When, when, and where, and how, and I guess why? Because a lot of people fight it. The niche yep. that you guys are in, like, you know, and I coach agencies. Maybe you don't need to define a niche, but grab a couple of verticals that you can carve out so that you've got these things, these legs of the stool to real land on. How, where, when, why did you guys end up in this B two B tech space or niches along the way? Yeah. So it's the natural growth of a business is you're kind of finding your way. That's how I've experienced it. So I assume that many people find it that way, but in the beginning, it wasn't clear to us. Um, and in those early years, you're really just saying like, mm, 
you're not focused on that, right? Like, what are we going to be in 10 years? And what's our absolute niche? You're just like, how do I get a check? Yeah. How do we keep money coming? And oh, people pay for that. Cool. We'll do that. But over time, you start yep. to realize what you don't want to do, what is not bringing value, et cetera. You start trimming and trimming. And over a series of years of continual trimming, it's not like we did 400 services, but like refinement, I guess I would say is we found ourselves in the position that the vast majority of our clients were B2B tech. We were becoming more known for that anyways, right? So it was kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, we began to recognize that just development within our business model wasn't ideal for a lot of reasons, right? And that we just seemed to shine better on the brand side. And uh, that's not to discredit the great development team members that we had, but from like a business function, development was always the thing that maybe took the longest, got the most um, kind of like intricate and, and, and then challenging and, you know, maybe timelines get stretched and hard to price it as it becomes more commoditized in the market and all these things. Right. So yeah. it's like, Oh, I don't, you know, maybe we need to also then trim that offering. So as we just trimmed and trimmed and trimmed, we found ourselves left with essentially is the, the thing that we were now most passionate about the thing that people came to us the most for the thing that we could essentially charge the most for mm -hmm. because it was our bread and butter. So it was kind of obvious alignment from both sides to say, we're going to be B2B, we're going to be brand only. And, and quite honestly, like what a relief it is to find that. Because for yeah. so many years as you're building your business, there's a lot of I don't knows or what ifs. Mm -hmm. And those have finally dissipated. We know what we're doing. And now we can just say, we're going to be that forever, essentially. Yeah. That's what this business will be. Yeah. And it's, it's just so amazing how <clears throat> excuse me, so many people fight it. But then once you got it and you and you can own it, it's it's a huge huge relief. And it's like, why did I fight this for so long? That's right. Yeah. But I love that. Yeah. I mean, but you, you don't guys... know what you don't know, so you yeah. fight it, right? Yeah. The natural yeah. instincts of like, but we just got this big client, and they say they need this thing, so you're just going to gravitate, which is more of a safety play. You're going to gravitate towards that. Eventually, you don't need that safety. You prefer mm -hmm. prefer the clarity. And then honestly, what happens like when when we repositioned ourselves to be B2B tech, we even rebranded ourselves mm -hmm. and clearly use that language. You open up a, a larger pool of people that actually even fit that. So you're never, at that point, you're not even worried about what, what am I losing by trimming over here? You're gaining five yeah. X that with yeah. the clarity and the focus. But it takes so much courage to say, we're not going to do this anymore. And to start turning down business because right, you're taking everything. I'll do your business card. I'll do your whatever, whatever, right. whatever. It's right. like, no, we're not going to do that anymore. And, and, and the first few times you say no, it, it takes a lot of courage. And there's a lot of growth from as a personal thing, right? As the owners, you're responsible right. now for more than just microwavable Applebee's hors d'oeuvres. Like <laughs> you guys yes. need to pay some people. So now we're saying no. How are we going to pay people? Well, if you stick to the path and you stick to the niche, you know, riches are in the niches, they say, right? So that's right. So you guys focus a lot on culture and, yes. and I feel like that attracts the right talent. It attracts the right clients. Where, when, like, what's this push for culture? Like, has that always been a thing or is it something you guys realized like, Hey, we need to focus on, on our culture as well as our client's culture. Yeah. So I think it's very easy to say we care about people and people first. And all, mm -hmm. and I say that because a lot of people say that and, and some of them maybe believe that and some of them don't, we don't need to get into that. But for us, again, as being naive, which was, we never really worked in big, I never worked in corporate. 
my business partner, when I met him was much younger than me still. And when I met him, I was 26, right? He had never really worked in corporate. Um, we had never built an agency before. So all right. we had to go on was, was our own core DNA of how we feel about people and how people should be treated. And just this idea that we would want to build the type of a company that other people would want to work at. So for those reasons, we have just leaned more progressive, if you will, in the business mm -hmm. world as being very people first. We've always cared more about the culture and, and even the quality of the work versus margins, bottom line stuff, right? right? Because we just know that it's not really where your, your core energy should be focused. Because if the other thing is true, to a large degree, everything kind of plays out, um, you know, everyone's happy and performing well and everyone's thriving in your company and the quality of the work is good, the margins and all these other things will, you know, play themselves out. So. Yeah. So I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Enneagram, but coming back to the, like it's in our core DNA, Enneagram is like a personality profile test. Mm -hmm. One of a few that, that most people know, and it's worth looking into. So Enneagram is a series of numbers, one through nine, and I'm a two and a two is essentially a people warm and fuzzy. I'm in all the feelings type of person. Like I really care right. and enjoy seeing people win, supporting people, all that stuff. That's my, my downfall is actually that I would care about people more than I care about myself. So if my Enneagram test, if I'm reading it, it's like, Hey, don't forget about yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, and my business partner, uh, who, there's now a third, but Eric as, um, the original me and him, he is a, he's a one, two. So he also leans two in a lot of ways. So therefore, even at the core of he and I starting this thing, we just freaking care about people. It's like core yeah. to who we are. It wouldn't matter if we started a business, if we had just worked somewhere else, we would still feel that way. So that's been ingrained from the beginning. And what happens now is you create a culture that kind of perpetuates itself. It becomes right. a snowball effect. People join the company because they appreciate that type of culture. It's the type of culture they would also want to create. So we all hold up the culture and it becomes pretty damn locked tight because of that. So we do three interviews in the hiring process, three different people along the way. You get a pretty good read on people, regardless of their Enneagram, if they're going right. to be that type of person in your company, which is all those things I said, hungry, driven, humble, those types of yeah. things. And you can tell if somebody's BSing you after, oh, yeah. maybe not in the first one, but second or third, you're like, man, yeah. They're saying they subscribe to all these things. They read our website, you know, and they, they need a job. Maybe they're talented, but how do you really see through that nonsense to know that they're going to really be part of the right DNA culture That's that right. you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. And you pick that up in, in the in-betweens. You pick that up in the gaps. You don't pick it up in the answers, right? Yeah. It's like the read between. It's the small talk that happens before you really get into your heavy questions, in between the questions, and at the end when you're small talking again. That's where you get a sense of like the human being feel. Yeah. So, so as the owner, you guys are how many people now? 33. Okay. 33 with a growth plan of. Yeah. We're trying to get to, we limit. don't, we don't really want to top out at, we don't want, want to go past 50. Okay. That's the plan. Yeah. Because really because of culture. Yeah. Uh, as one of the key reasons we want to protect the culture. And we believe that if we try to target a hundred, 150, 200, like you just can't sustain the type of, that doesn't mean companies of that size don't have good cultures, right. but we want our exact culture. Yeah. So, but, but growing, you know, going from two to whatever, to whatever, to, to 35, maintaining that culture. Now you guys are remote where you were hybrid before. Yeah. What's your experience been over the past? I mean, 
COVID hit, everybody went remote. The biggest concern was how do we maintain culture and how do we continue to get work done when we're used to being in a war room with printouts on the wall and, and all these in-person things that you can't look over somebody's keyboard anymore. Like, how are you guys maintaining some of the stuff in a remote space now? So thankfully for us, you, you mentioned we were hybrid and that is correct. But even hybrid probably doesn't do it justice, honestly, because by year three, I think it was around year three, it could have even been year two. Uh, one of our earlier designers, we were probably a team of five at that point, he was fully remote. So I'm talking, okay. we're 12 years in, in like the earliest of our years, we already had a fully remote team member and that continued. But what happened was, is um, without trying to do it this way, it was kind of like, we just put out job postings. If they were local, cool. If they were not local, that was fine as well. We didn't really care. And then the applicants mm -hmm. flushed out, however they flushed out. And then as we continued to build, we ended up with this ratio that like half of our team was local and half wasn't. And that, so, and that started at that first kind of fully remote team member. So I say that to say that by the time COVID hit, without me sounding like, like I'm boasting or, or lying, like COVID from a how our business functions had mm -hmm. zero effect. Right. Um, you talk about culture for the people in the office, that was a shift for them. But for the rest of us, the other 10 people at that point, we were 18 people when March, 2020, um, the other 10 people had already been living in a fully remote environment. I I've been living in New Jersey already for nine years, right? COVID right. is like two and a half years ago or whatever that is. So, um, so it didn't change much for me. Local office feels it because now it's dynamically different, but clients don't feel it because we don't have local clients, right? Every right. single thing we do is a Zoom call. We've been it on Zoom been, forever, yeah. like yeah. literally like forever, ever. Yeah. So, PS, stock I should have seen coming because I had been using <laughs> it for five years or more before COVID. But, uh, but yeah, so, and I guess the other thing I would say is, um, you know, we didn't know this to be true, but our theory was adding people isn't the like antithesis of culture. It doesn't mean when you add right. more culture goes down. Yeah. So it really, it comes back to that. What have you built? What does your company stand for? What are the type of people you're adding? And if you're adding the right people. Cause, cause you're not adding diluters, you're adding ambassadors, you're adding people correct. that are, they want to cheer for the brand and be a part correct. of this great thing. They're attracted to greatness and i use that word to define like not put you guys up on a pedestal but say sure. but you know the, the great things that you're doing as a culture and as a team and the work that you're doing that's attracting people that want to be a part of that and so 100 percent, it'd be insane for them i want to be a part of that now i'm going to come and ruin it and even and it, if they're yeah, not conscious about that yeah yeah so yeah so it's amplifying sense. now i do understand that you can get to a point where it dilutes though, right? Because I, I don't think I could get 2,000 people and and keep a note, right? If we're talking about amplifying, yeah. if we stay on the music thing for a minute, like I don't know that 2,000 people can hold the same note, but I can tell you that 33 can, yeah. or at least a, a chord of multiple notes that actually resonate together. Yeah, there's some harmony going on there. And yeah, you guys are the time. maestros making it happen, which is pretty freaking cool. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, and I... I don't think we're special because of that. I think we just potentially might hold that higher than maybe some other people do. Yeah. Not everybody wants to live in the warm and fuzzies, right? That's, uh, yeah, but you're attracting the ones that do. So yeah. 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 yeah I love it. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't give you a heads up on this, but I like to do kind of like a lightning round of a couple of random questions towards yeah. the end and love coming it. down towards, towards time. So, uh, the kind of craziest, and I use that word loosely thing that you maybe you and the family did through COVID 
the craziest. So this is not crazy, but it worked out like magic. So the, the most magic thing we did was we bought a camper in October of 19. Okay. And then in January, February, and then COVID started. And I was like, wow, I think we bought a camper at the worst possible time because it's going to sit in the driveway for who knows how long. But it was actually the best possible thing mm -hmm. because it has a bathroom, it has a shower, it has a kitchen, and we could literally go all over the place. Mm -hmm. So we were very blessed, actually, and super grateful to have that camper because although we were locked down, if you will, we could actually still get the hell out of our house. So that, that worked out great. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that sounds uh, delightful. Yeah. Um, a book podcast or audio book or something that you're really vibing on right now. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll just name off a couple of my favorite books. Uh, can't hurt me by David Goggins. Another fantastic book is, um, daring greatly by Brene mm -hmm. Brown. I love her. So that's yeah. a like leaning into courage and actually getting yep. out there and doing the hard work, even though you're going to second guess yourself. Uh, and then maybe let me try to pick another like off script. The Andre Agassi one okay. is, is pretty wild. I randomly like picked it up in an airport. I'm like, wow, this is significantly better than I thought it was going to be. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but, uh, a new hobby that you're really kind of obsessed with. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Obsessed is the right word. Cause it is in yeah. my personality trait to go into something and go in like full, yeah. Uh, and so right now that is like, we were talking about uh, guitar, hence the guitar yeah. in the background. Uh, my son is 12 and he wanted to play. And in doing so, it just prompted me to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to learn together. So um, that's been pretty awesome. I love pretty that. Awesome. That's, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Uh, you'll inspire me to pick mine back up and, and learn better. And we'll have to get together and, and do it some kind of a jam session. So jam yeah. out, man. That's my goal. Yeah. Final uh, question. Um, and, and this is for, just kind of a tactical agency owner, like a really strong piece of advice that saved your keister over the years, something that you want to pass on down to people. Yeah. Um, so I'll say two things. I'll give the lofty non-tactical and then I'll give the extremely tactical. The lofty non-tactical is like, man, what a game we play as business owners, especially in a creative world. Um, I think that like patience and grit is probably paramount, honestly, because mm -hmm. there are going to be years where you second guess yourself. There are going to be years where you're not doing it right. We had plenty of those, right? We're talking about Focus Lab now at its best form and all the things right. we do right. Plenty of years we were breaking shit and, yep. and even the culture suffered for that uh, as much as it could for what we've built. So, so patience and grit to fight through those times and just, just looking for pieces of progress because all that will add up. Um, the very tactical though is buy the book and read the book and act on the book called Traction. Yes. So Traction, um, that book, um, he is talking about what he calls the entrepreneurial operating system. So EOS is what you'll hear people talk about. Oh, do you run on EOS? That's what they're talking about. It's all from the book Traction. It is like common sense stuff. There's no rocket science in there. When we implemented that at a team of 17, it drastically changed our business for the better. Because again, our culture was good. Our creative was good. But was mm -hmm. our business systems, were they yeah. good? That yeah. thing was like, whew, rounded it all out. That was probably the most dynamic and best tactical shift we've ever done. So awesome. that's an easy answer for me. I love it, man. I listen, I'm a huge fan of traction, huge fan of EOS. So I, I fully support that. 
Bill, listen, I'm so grateful for your time. Um, I know you're out there learning chords and conquering the world um, in the B2B <laughs> tech space. So thank you for your time. Bill Kenny from Focus Lab. Thank you, man. Steve, thanks a ton, dude. Thanks. All right, brother. Bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Bite-Sized Agency Briefs. As always, if you found value in this episode, chances are someone else will too. So please share it with your network. Also, if you know someone with expert knowledge on a topic that agency owners would love, drop me a note. Let's get them on. Finally, find someone to hug today. <laughs>